sure if mine is actually a grandma i didn't get that far into my honestly homework. we might need to rename this because my lady was not a grandma when she did the killing well my lady had kids but they never said anything about her kid having kids her children and having children yeah her so. oldest son was gonna join the army so i don't think he had kids maybe not who knows a little backstory on this episode. Originally, when Laura and I were talking, we were discussing doing a podcast on old people killing people, and we decided not to limit ourselves to strictly old people killing people. So then we were going to do crimes, and then we were like, let's not restrict ourselves to just crimes, because we love other things too. So. This is what happened. (laughs) This is basically just a dive into all the weird shit that Candy and I love that we feel other people may quite possibly enjoy. (laughs) Let's just hope we don't go on any Harry Potter tangents. Yeah. Because that happens a lot. Okay, so do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? (laughs) Um, I've got a lot to talk about. I don't know if you want to sit there for three hours listening to me go on and on and on especially when it comes to Zach Baggins because there's a lot I have to say about him (laughs) is it how hot he is and how every time you join a ghost adventures group that that's all they talk about is how hot he is there is a tiny (laughs) tiny portion like twice twice (laughs) where I am considering how hot he is because let's face it he's hot there's no getting around it he is conventionally attractive but he's also a dick. Yeah. But no, it's just, uh, I love to talk shit about him. And Aaron, and Billy, mostly Zach and Aaron, because Zach is such a bitch and Aaron is a wuss. Does Zach get possessed by the killer grandma? I can't tell you. <laughs> Not until later. I have no idea what her thing is. Like, she knows mine, but I don't know hers. I really don't know a lot about yours, though. I only remember small pieces of what you've told me in the past when we first started researching. Yeah. And I told you a lot, like, six months ago when we first started talking about this about my lady. Because she would have been the first person for me anyway. But it's just different. And I've got some information that apparently got crossed somewhere. My hair's got crossed somewhere. And something I thought was involving her apparently never actually happened. Oh, okay. That happens. Okay, so I guess I'll go first because I have the the short story today. It's not going to be so, short. Yeah, by the time I finish, it's probably not. So first of all, disclaimer, I am not going to be able to pronounce any of these names because I am not Italian. I grew up in Oregon. I was born in Kansas, like, there is no way I know any Italian. Do you want my social security number <laughs> I'm a Mexican who can't speak Spanish, so I'm the worst person to help you here. Yeah, my family's Welsh, so there's no help <laughs> for me. Okay, so my grandma is Leonardo Cinciulli. 
I've listened to a bunch of YouTube things on her and like that was like how I learned how to pronounce her name. But she's known as the soap maker of Correggio. She was born in 1894 and died in 1970. So she was like 76 when she passed away. But she had like this super rough childhood where she thought that her mom cursed her. And I know I have mom issues, but like that's a big thing to think that your mom cursed you, so. And they're in Italy? Yeah, yeah, they're in Italy. I feel like I don't hear a lot about curses coming out of that country. Well, because they, they have the gypsies, though. When I think so. gypsies, I always think, like, a little bit farther up north in Europe, like Ireland, Romania. Not yeah. really Italians. They go down, but, though. Yeah, I mean... That sounds like a really bad gypsy. That does sound really bad. <laughs> I mean, some some of the modern-day gypsies have claimed to be Italian, so... But yeah. I don't know, because they look like guidos. That's a whole other story. So, in her rough childhood, like, she grew up and decided that she didn't want to be with her parents anymore, so she ran off and married some dude that her parents didn't approve of. And after that, <laughs> she was so determined about her mom cursing her that she actually went to several fortune tellers who one of them told her that all of her kids would die really young and then the other one told her that in one hand she sees prison and the other hand she sees a criminal asylum and that is actually what happens to my person so after all that and she moved out she wound up going to jail for fraud in one city they had to move and then um her and her husband this is really sad her and her husband had 17 pregnancies but only four kids lived past childhood oh my god so that's really sad and that kind of goes along with what the fortune teller was saying like you know all your kids are gonna die young and then <laughs> to make matters even worse they wound up moving to Corregio after an earthquake in their old town so it's like all this bad stuff just keeps happening and happening but when she moved she wound up opening a shop and all of her neighbors loved her which helped her later on you know so what set her off to killing people because it's about killer grandmas is in 1939 her son her eldest son Giuseppe <laughs> I totally messed that up Giuseppe Giuseppe <laughs> who knows Giuseppe um, he decided to join the army, which I'm a huge history buff, so I can tell you right now that 1939, Italy, that was World War II. Like, he was going to join the army and go into World War II. And I can imagine as a mom, like, your eldest son after that many pregnancies and your eldest son is like, okay, I'm going to go join this big old war. Mm -hmm. You know, like, of course you're going to freak out. You're going to want to protect him. So... And she decided that the best way to protect her son was through human sacrifice. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. How is that protection? That's like opposite of protection. You're not protected if you're dead. Yeah. Well, she didn't sacrifice her son, but um, um, she sacrificed a couple ladies in her town. So when she opened her shop... She was selling, like, soaps and stuff like that. But then on the side, she did fortune-telling. So, like, all these ladies were coming to her, like, where's my husband? You know, I need a job. Like, all this stuff looking for help from her. And she wound up killing three of the ladies who came to her. It was pretty much the same for each lady. There was only a slight difference. Um, 
the first lady was looking for a husband because she was a spinster and she wanted to get married, which is a big thing. And then the other two ladies wanted to find jobs. So they went to her and she would tell them, hey, you know, what you want is in this town way over here that's way far away, but don't tell anybody, right? Like, don't tell anybody you're moving. Just pack up and go. And, you know, the day that you leave, come over to my place, drop off the money you owe me because she got paid for this. And um, she also told them to write letters ahead of time. <laughs> I'm sorry, if you told me to write a letter ahead of time, I'd be like, hell no. And I'm telling everybody I'm moving. <laughs> right? Well, no, I probably wouldn't tell anybody I was moving. It took me being, like, eight months pregnant to tell people that I was pregnant. So I might actually, like, just up and leave and not tell anyone. Yeah, but I'm sure as hell, yeah, I'm going to tell people. Everybody's going to know and be like, I'm moving in, like, six months. <laughs> <laughs> On each of their, like, the day that they were supposed to leave town to go find their husband or find the job or whatever... They went to her place to pay her, and she offered them a glass of poisoned wine. And once they passed out, she took an axe, and she dismembered them, right, with the axe, and collected their blood in a pot. And because she made soap, she had caustic uh, soda, mm -hmm. and so she put the body pieces in that, and then once it like became a sludge, she put it in the septic tank. But the blood in the pot, she let dry. And then she finally like ground it, mm -hmm. and then put it in tea cakes. Tea cakes. Yep. This is very Sweeney Todd. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is. So she put it in tea cakes, and she, like, if you look it up, like, she pretty much tells you how to make them and everything. It's kind of creepy. Yeah, she wrote, like, all this stuff down in her mm -hmm. diary. So, you, like, you know, like, she put sugar, flour, like, all that stuff in it. So, if you want to make bloody tea cakes, the recipe's online for you. <laughs> well, I mean, it would be full of riboflavin and good stuff. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm talking about, in all honesty. Do you happen to know, like, was this pot, like, Ed Gein-style giant cauldron thing? You know, Like I, a stock pot. I honestly don't know, which is crazy because there's pictures, you know, but yeah. I wasn't sitting there looking at the pictures. They actually have the pot at the Criminological Museum in Rome, hmm. and I'm surprised I could actually say that because the first time <laughs> I tried to say that... <laughs> I feel like that would take a really long time. Like, it took me 15 years to learn how to say pharmaceutical correctly, and it'll probably take me another 15 years to learn how to say that. Yeah. <laughs> so, I already mentioned she had three victims. So, the first one was Faustina Setti. I totally said that wrong, but she was the one looking for a husband, um, and only her body was used to make tea cakes. So, like... Well, her blood was used to make uh, tea cakes. Her second victim um, was on September 5th in 1940. We don't know the time for the first one. Um, her name was Francesca Suave. Francesca Francesca. Suave? There's no H. So she was looking for work as a teacher in, of course, different town, blah, 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 all the same stuff. And then her body was used to make tea cakes, too. And then the third victim was in September 30th, 1940, and her name was Virginia Kayapo. <laughs> There's like 
no way I'm going to be able to say that name. That one, I, <laughs> I will know. write them all down and somebody can tell me how to say these because I have no idea. She was also looking for work too and her body was actually not only used to make tea cakes but she saved the fat from Virginia and used it to make soap. And I have a direct quote from this because you have to hear this quote. Like, it's crazy. So about Virginia, um, Leonardo said, she ended up in the pot like the other two. Her flesh was fat and white, and when it melted, I added a bottle of cologne. After boiling, I was able to make some most acceptable creamy soap. I gave bars to neighbors and acquaintances. The cakes, too, were better. That woman was really sweet. I like, wonder if she was alive today, if she got a hold of me. I would be the worst. Like, soap-wise, probably great, because there's tons of fat. But I feel like I would be the most bitter human to eat ever. <laughs> I kind of want to try to, like, take a chunk of myself right now. <laughs> Just, like, bite. Like, bite huh. my arm. It's really fleshy right here. <laughs> yeah. No, that just, like, the way she just says that, you know, like, she doesn't regret any of this. Mm-hmm. She just, it's just, like, another day to her. Like, oh, it was just the most acceptable, creamy soap. Maybe she didn't think what she was doing was bad because they weren't mothers or wives maybe or shop owners they were looking for jobs and one of them was unmarried and to people back in those days like that meant that you were probably not really all that important yeah but it's still a person but people don't see things that way sometimes unfortunately and she took a lot of money from these ladies Mm -hmm. like some of these ladies gave her their life savings and virginia was like a soap opera singer so you know she had money. She was a soap opera singer? Yes. You know, opera singer. Soap opera is a television. Whatever. Thing. <laughs> she was she obviously was a soap opera because she was used to make soap. Maybe, yes. <laughs> well now she's a soap opera singer. Now she's a soap opera singer. I wonder if we Googled her if we could find some of her music. I don't know, because it was the nineteen forties when she died. Maybe, but like they had recordings. That's true. You have to be able to record stuff to put it on the internet and records and... They didn't have that in the 1940s. Phonographs. <laughs> we'll, just, we'll just go way back into, like, phonographs. They could have easily done this on a phonograph. Not really. She was caught because uh, Virginia, the third victim, her sister became suspicious and went to the police and realized that Chinchuli was the last person to see her, so they went to her and arrested Chinchuli. But Chinchuli refused to admit that she did it until they tried to arrest her eldest son for helping her. And then she finally like just came out with everything. She couldn't live with her son being arrested. So her trial was in 1946. And even during her trial, she was unrepentant. She was talking about how she like gave her ladle to the government for the war effort and stuff like that. Like, she just was, like, unrepentant. And then she wound up spending 30 years in prison and three years in a criminal asylum. Wow. So, just like the fortune teller said at the before all this happened. Yeah. Like, she spent, you know, in one hand prison and the other hand a criminal asylum. Mm-hmm. Well, she did both. And then she died of cerebral apoplexy in 1970 at the age of 76 
And as I mentioned earlier, her stuff's in the Criminological Museum in Rome. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to go see the pot, and I think it's the pot, the axe, and like maybe one other thing. I think the ladle. Actually, the ladle. They had to get is, it back uh, from the government. Is actually there. So that's my story. Like pretty simple, pretty easy. Well, that is far from simple. Comes with cannibalism and soap making. Is soap making hard? I don't think so. Like, honestly, if you look at her quote, I mean, she just boiled the fat and then added cologne. I feel like there has to be more ingredients to that. Like, back in the day, most soaps were made with lye, which was pretty... I mean, lye is a great cleaning agent. Lye is also a great body disposal agent. <laughs> I learned that in, a, what is it, chemistry, I think. Well, she used caustic soap. Mm-hmm. Soda, caustic soda. Yeah. And <laughs> so to break down the skin, yeah. maybe break down the skin and the just fat shit. to break down the fat and then boil the fat and add the cologne and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then the fat hardens after you unboil it. I wonder what kind of cologne she used. Just like Giorgio <laughs> Armani, or are we talking like Walgreens? She just went to the store and bought the cheapest <laughs> bottle of cologne. Axe body spray because that scent gets rid of anything. Oh my god. <laughs> All it you can does. smell the rest of the day is Axe body spray. Some <laughs> scents of Axe body spray smell really good. Yeah. I do like that stuff. I loved that stuff in high school. That was my favorite. It really covered up the cigarette smoke really well. <laughs> my dad to this day doesn't know I smoked cigarettes because Axe body spray really does work. Yeah. Although it does not make girls chase you. Yeah. That is not a thing. I don't chase after guys that wear axe body spray. Well, my dad is an idiot and he didn't ever think. And that's not nice to say. My dad isn't an idiot. <laughs> but my dad, like, got so excited and asked to borrow my body spray because he ran out of cologne. So I hand it over and he goes and he sprays a little bit on his uniform. He's like, ooh, now all the girls are going to be chasing me. And I'm like, you work in a prison and you work with the men. Do you really need to be chased right now? <laughs> yeah. I feel like that wouldn't have been the most safe thing ever, but it could happen. Just so you know, Dad, that was Laura talking, because we know I shared this podcast with my dad. <laughs> oh, my parents know that it's happening, but they won't listen. Yeah. Which is awesome, because this means that my dad will still not know that I smoked cigarettes, because that's one thing I try to keep from him. Yeah. I don't keep much from my dad. My dad would kill me. <laughs> if I smoke cigarettes. My dad chews tobacco, so smoking cigarettes. He wouldn't be super, super angry, but just because of the health issues that smoking cigarettes caused his dad, he would not be happy. But then I would remind him he chews tobacco, and that's disgusting and not good for you. Yeah. No, I would get the, I made you, I could put you back in the ground conversation. <laughs> because that doesn't go away when you're an adult. Your parents still do that afterwards. Oh, I know. Trust me. My mom still smacks me around and I'm almost 30. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This is getting a little off topic. Yeah. How do we get here? Who knows? So, I am going to talk about Dorothea Puente who had several last names, and I'm pretty sure I did not copy them all down. Because she's been married many, many times. She had a very interesting life, actually. Um, 
she is the creepiest looking old lady you will ever see, mind you. She just looks evil. And I don't say that lightly. I basically grew up in a nursing home. My mom is a CNA, which then ties back into the story later when you learn about her career as an adult. Because I just, serious issues here. I have a lot of serious issues. I grew up around old people. I love old people. But this old lady makes me want to punch a baby. So she just, she was put to the trial for the murder of nine people. One of them was a boyfriend, fiance type figure that she met when she was in her 60s. They were pen pals while she was in prison. Oh. So, fun fact, you go to prison, you can still land yourself a dude. Okay, wait, I have to tell you this because <laughs> it totally goes along with the, the whole, like, writing, like, prisoners thing. Like, there's those, like, I can't even remember the name of it anymore, but it's, like, these girls who um, write, like, prisoners and stuff like that, and they totally, like, date each other. It's so freaky. I've, like, talked to some of these girls, but I was... The reason I started laughing was because a while back, I can't remember, it was some church thing where we were writing prisoners because it's like, don't forget the prisoners, blah, blah, blah. Well, every time I like wrote a prisoner, they thought they thought we were dating. <laughs> yeah, Ooh, I know, right? No, thank you. So like, it, it is a thing and it does happen. Oh yeah, it happens <laughs> all the time. Didn't Richard Ramirez marry somebody that he met through a prison pen pal program? Yeah, see, look. Yeah. He did. So if the Night Stalker can find love and Dorothea Puente can find love, then in prison for really bad things. I know a girl who went to visit a serial killer in prison because they were writing and uh, she, like, wanted to have his kid. I don't know how it would work out, but... Conjugal visits. They married. Uh, true. It happens. A lot. That's (laughs) true. I would not do that, because they probably do not clean that shit out. I don't think so. That is gross. That would be horrible. That much I don't know, but I can find out. Although all the corrections officers I know work for INS facilities, which... Are pretty obvious. Their INS facilities is basically all deportation mostly, but people get arrested for other things and they're put there because they're here illegally. Yeah. But I don't know if they have like the little cabins. I have heard some really heinous stories about not so conjugal visits happening during visiting hours where they pay their COs to turn their backs and not pay attention for five minutes. <laughs> It's very warm, just that in his life. It's disgusting. That is gross. She met dude in prison through the whole writing letters back and forth to each other. So he was one of her victims, unfortunately. And I feel really bad for that guy. Warning sign she was in jail for murdering people. <laughs> no. At this time, she was not. Oh, what was she in jail for that time? Oh, I think it was fraud. Oh. She went to jail for a few different things. Some really cool things, too. Okay. So, anyway, to get to a little bit into her backstory, Dorothea Puente was actually born in January 1929 in Redlands, California. Her parents were cotton pickers. Mom was Trudy Mae Yates, and her dad was Jesse James Gray. She lost her dad in 1937 to tuberculosis. She was only eight years old. She was really little. 
And then literally a year later, her mom died in a car accident. So she was really tiny. She lost both of her parents. And Dorothea had to go to an orphanage. I guess she didn't have any family that could take her on. So that alone causes a really tough situation. Yeah. She's a little girl, nine years old. She's got nobody. I couldn't imagine. I'm an only child and I'm up my parents' butt. So <laughs> I couldn't deal. Like, I would not have been able to deal with anything at that age. In 1945, at the age of 16, she decided to marry a soldier named Fred McFall, who had been in World War II. So these take place around the same time. There's a little tidbit right there, a little fun yeah. fact. Our stories happen around the same time, just one in California and the other in Italy. And they had two daughters between 1946 and 1948. One of them she sent to live with relatives, and the other she actually placed for adoption. And I'm not sure which went to family and which went to the orphanage or adoption agency, which then makes me wonder if she had family to send her kid to, why couldn't they take her? I don't know. Which would just cause a whole other string of mental health issues, like why couldn't you help me then? This could have actually prevented a lot of stuff in the future. Yeah. Sadly. Um, They wound up having another pregnancy, but she had a miscarriage, and shortly after the miscarriage, her husband left her. So there's other mental problems right there just I mean and he could have left her for a multiple multitude of reasons but miscarriages tear families apart unfortunately it's really really hard on people in 1952 she married a man named Axel Johansson which I love that name (laughs) just love that name future kid's name yes Axel Johansson it's epic that's gonna be my next kid and it's probably probably gonna be another girl because he makes girls if uh if there's a Johansson out there, just uh hit me up. <laughs> there's an Axel. Don't come anywhere near me because I'm basically married. But you can DM us, and I will say really weird things. <laughs> but they were together for 14 years, and it was a really tough marriage, just bad. And I don't have any information on that marriage other than the fact that apparently it was really turbulent because I suck at research. And I only went to Wikipedia. That's as far as I got. You know what's hilarious? I checked like six different places from mine and everything was like a repeat of Wikipedia. A lot of things repeat each other. Yeah. So I don't even bother. Like I did read one other thing and this was like a long time ago about her. And it was basically the same stuff that I have right here. There's just not a whole... I couldn't find as much information on her second husband. And I'm sure if I did more digging, I could. He didn't have anything to do with her crime. But she was sent to jail for forging checks. She was in for six months. And then she was impregnated by a man she really didn't know. So she gave the baby up for adoption. So that's what, three kids? Yep. Three kids. She had no saying what happened with them, which hopefully worked out for the kids. Yeah. That would be really nice, especially to later find out. From the daughter who lived with family. Hey, your mom is an insane serial killer. That would not be okay. In the 60s, this is the job that I thought was the coolest. She was arrested for owning a brothel. <laughs> like, that is... that I just think that is hilarious. <laughs> and I think that's really awesome. She was sentenced to 90 days in jail for owning a brothel. So apparently that's not a big deal. So I'm going to buy a brothel. And that's my new business venture. Okay. That's where things are going to be. <laughs> so she was arrested again after her release of being arrested for owning a brothel, but this time she was arrested for vagrancy. 
I did not know what vagrancy was, so I had to go and do a Google search on vagrancy, and it's basically she was arrested for being homeless. Uh-huh. She just got out of jail. What else is she going to do? She's not married anymore. Her kids don't live with her. It's the 60s, so like she's got adult kids, but she doesn't have any contact with them. So she was homeless, so they arrested her again. It was another 90 days in jail. Basically, after getting out of jail for this time, it, like, was the kickstart of her criminal career. Yeah. And from here on out, it was just finding work, which she did find work. She found very good work. She found work as a care aide, nurse's aide. So she worked with elderly people, developmentally disabled people, and she was able to do this kind of job managing a boarding house. So she had disabled people staying in her home physically, Disabled people, mentally disabled people, and older people okay. living in this really nice, actually, it's a really nice little house. So, in 1956, she finally divorces Axel Johansson. <laughs> it's been four years. She got pregnant by somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> and she married Robert Puente, who is the man that she kept his name until passing away. They were 19 years apart. She was older. And they got married in Mexico City. So now she's a cougar, which is just, like, setting her up there again for me. Like, I'm like, okay, you owned a brothel. That's kind of epic. Now you're a cougar. Like, I can get on board with this. I'm not. I'm the younger in my relationship. But he looks like he's, like, 19. So I could be construed as a cougar as long as nobody knows. (laughs) (laughs) And their marriage only lasted two years. Um... And directly after their marriage ending is when she took over a 16-bedroom care home, which would be the home that eventually is where all of her crimes are committed. Okay. It is really nice. I'm not going to lie. It's really nice. If I ever went to Sacramento, California, I totally want to go there. Just to check it out, it's pretty. It's really pretty. I don't know anything about Sacramento. Let's go. Yeah, but it's a nice house. (laughs) We'll just drive there now. Yeah, it's not that far, is it? I mean, San Diego is only six hours away, so... Yeah, so add, like, another ten hours. Right. <laughs> we'll be there by the time we have to go to work tomorrow. So, in 1976, she married, and I'm going to say this like a white girl, because my Spanish is horrible. I could say it correctly, but it won't come out right. Men named Pedro Montalvo, a really violent alcoholic, um... Pedro. Yep, and they were only married a couple months. Oh, my Atlanta. Yes, <laughs> this woman, she's got, she's got it, and I don't know where. <laughs> so, after that, she just began hanging out in bars. She was looking for older dudes because she wanted their benefits. Yeah. She needed money. She had to afford to live because managing a care home apparently wasn't paying the bills. She rented yeah. an apartment down the street from the home that she was doing her business yeah so she was really nearby if her residents needed her she could be there which was a big thing that she made people think that she was a good person they thought that she cared she took on hard cases constantly so during the time she was caught charged with 34 counts of treasury fraud but only received probation that's it so then we get into the fun stuff. So you get 90 days for a brothel. <laughs> and probation for fraud. For money fraud. So this is where all the pretty colors come in. 
The home that she, her little board, her little boarding house was a 16 home house. There's nothing small about it. So the boarding house is located at 1426 F Street. That is the home that was a boarding house. And she lived up the road at 2100 F Street. F that. Man. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, some of her tenants would say that she was stingy. She would only give them their, she wouldn't give them their mail. She wouldn't give them their money. But then she had residents who said that she was amazing. And I read, a, it's not a direct quote, but there was a quote from a former tenant who said that her meals were delicious. She was a great cook. She was a great care provider. She took good care of them. And like every meal in her house was like Thanksgiving dinner. Going along like those lines, she took developmentally disabled mm -hmm. people. And you know, me and you have worked that field. So we know that like, Sometimes you can ask them questions and they'll not tell the truth. So maybe she did make some awesome meals, but maybe she only made some awesome meals every day. Well, some people, like, that doesn't register to them. If you ask them, hey, you know, did she feed you? They'd be like, oh, yeah, she made these amazing meals. Well, they're not going to sit there and think, well, maybe I should say she only fed us once a day. Mm -hmm. But this also could have been from one of her patients that was just older and had a hard time getting around because she took care of just people who needed more help and a lot of the time that includes developmentally disabled and in all honesty you can be considered developmentally disabled and put in a care home and you've got spina bifida there's nothing wrong yeah. with you what they would consider wrong with you mentally but there's you just have a harder time getting around you require a wheelchair because you can't walk or you can't move yeah. your feet correctly so I don't know who that came from, but they said that her meals were awesome. There is a cookbook. It is not penned by her, and I will find you the source. I found it on Amazon. Sorry, you can hear all my paper. So it is called Cereal Killer, or Cooking with a Cereal Killer. Recipes from Dorothea Puente. It was authored by, I can't spell authored, by <laughs> Shane Bugby. And, I mean, the tenant that said all of this is a person who survived long enough to give information about her cooking and I guess she was an awesome cook so she was super scrawny so apparently she wasn't cooking for herself because well maybe who knows <laughs> possibly she might just have a really good metabolism basically getting back on track all of her motives were financial everything she did was because she needed money <laughs> yeah well I mean that's nowadays we only work because we need to get paid Half True. The time. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I would rather. I totally would be one of those Pinterest moms, but I suck at Pinteresting things. So maybe it's a good thing that I have a day job and not <laughs> stay home and be a Pinterest mom. Not that I can afford to. But so, while living up the road or in the apartment, she lived in an apartment, and I'm actually not 100% sure if it's up the road. I just keep saying that. Um, she lived with a business partner. Partner. And her name was Ruth Monroe, which kind of makes me sad because my grandmother's name was Ruth. Mm. And my favorite nurse when I was in labor was named Ruth. She was really nice. She was blonde, just like my grandmother. <laughs> Shortly after they were living together as business partners, Ruth died of a cocaine and acetaminophen overdose. Dorothea told the police that Ruth was suffering from depression. Her husband was in really bad 
really bad condition. He was terminally ill. They didn't say with what from the information that I looked at. But so basically the police pathologists, they didn't look into it any further than that. And they were do, they just said, okay, she's, it was a suicide. On Tylenol though? Tylenol and cocaine. Yeah. I, I don't understand that mix. Cocaine is, tr- cocaine is bad. Well, yeah, it I know cocaine is bad, but like the Tylenol part. But I'm sure <laughs> if you crush up your Tylenol and mix it in with your cocaine, it could kill you. Yeah. Which is a thing, or if you, like, manage to stuff your cocaine into a pill and take it orally with your Tylenol, that would be really bad, too, because... <laughs> she was just getting ready for the coming down from the high. You know what? It was, <laughs> at this point, the 80s. God knows what was going on like, in the 80s. When you get really drunk and you know you're going to have a hangover the next day, so you just take ibuprofen before you go to bed. I just puke. <laughs> I just sleep with a water bottle. I will force myself to puke, even if that means shoving my entire arm down my throat to make it happen. I don't like hangovers, and honestly, I've never been hungover, because I will force myself to throw up. (laughs) I don't care if that makes me weak, because my best friend likes to make fun of me, because I am the only one who will throw up, and yet, I am the only one who doesn't ever wake up with a hangover. I've never had a hangover. I haven't. I've had, like, minor headaches, but that's more from dehydration than a hangover. Yeah. But shortly after her roommate passed away, um, the police returned because a 74-year-old boarder named Malcolm McKenzie accused Dorothea of drugging him and stealing from him. This time she was convicted of theft and she was sentenced to five years in jail. During this time, she began corresponding with the man that I was speaking of earlier. Um, His name was... Everson Gilmuth, and he is from Oregon. Oh, hey. So, in 1989, the year of creation. The year of creation. (laughs) Hallelujah, 1989. (laughs) Dorothea was released from prison. She only served three out of the five years that she was supposed to be in prison. And when she got out, Everson was waiting for her in a red Ford pickup, which now makes me terrified because I used to drive a red Ford. I've never drove Ford. I didn't have a choice. I liked it, though. I'm not a Ford person in general, but I loved mine. But it was made in 1966, so it was in a lot better vehicle than the Fords that they make today. We're not going to get into vehicles much more than that. (laughs) So their friendship escalated really quickly. They went from being friends to planning a wedding. They were going to get married. They got engaged really quickly. They opened a joint bank account, which is... Of course. Don't do it. Don't do it. Even if you're married, don't do it. And he was paying rent for the apartment. I like how this bounces around a lot. So, at one point, Puente hires a handyman. His name is Ismael Flores. What? His name is Ismael Flores. Okay. Handyman. He works at her house, and basically his job was to install some wood paneling in his in her apartment. And this says 1985. That's not possible because that's going backwards in time, and we're talking about at this point current day. So to compensate him for installing wood paneling in her apartment, she gives him $800 and a Ford pickup belonging to a former boyfriend who doesn't need it anymore. Just getting so, rid of the car. Yeah, well, the boyfriend doesn't need it anymore. And apparently he's from L.A., not Oregon. So, 
She also asked him to build a six by two by three box. So it's six feet tall, <laughs> two feet wide, and three feet deep. <laughs> I'm guessing the boyfriend who doesn't need the car anymore. Was probably about six feet tall. <laughs> yeah. So, and fairly broad shouldered. Two feet, I feel like is kind of, I don't know. I don't know. I kind of want to measure shoulders now. <laughs> we can do that later. We can do that later. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so I feel like two feet for shoulders is kind of broad, and I'm totally measuring Joe's shoulders tomorrow. <laughs> He's tall. He's over six foot, yeah. so it's a good way to tell. He has big shoulders. Yeah. So she tells him that she needs a six foot tall box for books and other miscellaneous items. <laughs> Did it come complete with bookshelves that she had to take out? No. <laughs> so she asked him to drop it off or to transport it somewhere. She comes along for the ride. And during this little drive, she tells him just to stop on Garden Highway in Sutter County to drop it off at a riverbank. Okay, so you need a box for books. And junk. And junk. And you're just going to drop it off on a riverbank. I got a box full of books in my closet. I'm not about to be getting rid of that shit. Yeah. I'm not getting rid of my books. None of getting... my books. Exactly. Fuck that shit. You give them away. You donate them. You don't just drop them off on a riverside. Yeah. But she drops them off at the riverside. And she shouldn't have just <laughs> left it on the riverside. Leave it at that. Later on, the box is found. Because somebody goes fishing at... It's a river. Somebody is going to be fishing. So somebody finds the box and he immediately contacts the police. Like it was. It looks like a coffin. Probably. So he calls the, co- the cops. Literally, the box is like three feet away from the riverbank. So they didn't even try. They just dumped it there. And rivers don't have tides. So it's not like it's going to whoosh up at, you know, the end of the day and carry the box away. But even then, somebody who is six feet tall is probably going to weigh close to 200 pounds. Yeah. Plus the box. It's not exactly like it's easy to just whoosh away into the water. Yeah. But nobody said she was smart. (laughs) They couldn't tell who the man in the box was. He was completely unidentifiable other than it was an older man. Okay, she got lucky there. She got lucky there. But she continued collecting pension for this man. Of course. So she was collecting his money. She was paying her bills. She even wrote letters to his family in Oregon stating that the reason why he hadn't contacted them was because he was ill. Okay. So I don't know if the letters were from him to the family through her or her writing the family for him stating that he's ill. Like I said, I did really bad looking this up. I could have done a better job. My next story will be better. I promise. (laughs) So during this time, she takes on 40 new tenants, keeping up her business at the boarding house. In a 16-room boarding house, or did she have a new place? No, it was still in a 16-room boarding house, which means uh, uh, there were people tripling up. Yeah. She had to have been tripling people up, because that's Mm -hmm. not enough rooms. Yeah. Even then, 16 times 2 is only 32. But it took three years. They could not figure out who the man was in the box. They didn't know who he was, and apparently nobody really questioned her boyfriend. Where he was, why he's been sick for three years straight, and not contacting his relatives. Well, I mean, if you think about her history with men, too, you know, it could easily be seen as, like, oh, he left her or whatever, you know? Like, she's still collecting the checks, but she, other people can just be like, oh, he left me. He went back to Oregon. But then, wouldn't they be looking with his family? Well, Like, if you came here, why is your money being sent there? 
she's still getting the money from the state. The state doesn't, mm-hmm. like, she's not going to tell the state what happened to him, but, like, the people around her who are watching her, like, yeah. her friends and stuff like that, she could just be like, oh, yeah, he left. Like, mm-hmm. they don't know she's getting that check. Yeah. So. Well, and they don't know anything, in all honesty, and they're going to assume that she's making decent money as a care provider. She's got all these paid residents um, where people liked her on top of it, so they're probably not going to question a whole lot anyway. She was really well-liked, especially with the social workers in her area. Her tenants had not only mental health concerns and elderly people, but she also took on people with drug addictions and, like, abusive people, which she's, like, 60-some-odd years old. Why are you taking on abusive people? You're going to die. Yeah. But apparently not. (laughs) So during this time, she would collect their mail, and she would basically give them an allowance pocketing the rest of the money for herself, stating that this is money that she needs for their expenses. So she would, I guess she would be telling them, like, this is going to be for your rent, this is going to help pay the utilities, this is going to help bring food in the home, which is stuff that makes sense. Yeah. She's cooking for them, she's cleaning for them, she's making sure that everything is kept up. So that would make sense if she would be telling them that, but they were claiming that she was making, at the very least, $5,000 from what she was taking from them monthly. I SSI mean, does not give you a lot, though. Yeah, and, you know, the group home system, like, we've both worked there. We know, like, they yeah, pay they rent. Yeah, they pay rent and stuff. Yeah. The guys get an allowance, pretty much. Mm-hmm. This is how much they can spend the rest as rent or food yeah. money. It's usually very easily a 60-40, and a lot of the time it's 60 towards home. Which is actually a big deal because you got to be able to make sure that you're keeping a roof over your head, keeping the electricity running and the water running and the gas running. You got to make sure you're fed. And I mean, if she was cooking these really good dinners, groceries to cook a proper meal, especially for this many people, aren't going to be cheap. Yeah, for 40 people and electricity for 40 people. It's going to be a 16 house. That's expensive. Showers for 40 people. Yeah. Like, this chick was paying out the laws. Yeah, and she was able to masquerade that all of the, every single penny was going towards expenses. At one point, while she was on parole, she was found, the police found her, and she got into a lot of trouble because she was, had already been put in jail once for fraud, so she was not supposed to be managing government checks. She wasn't supposed to be doing stuff like this. So, you know, they would just come and they would tell her, like, you're not supposed to do this. You need to stop doing this. Fifteen times. Fifteen? Fifteen times. There were no (laughs) citations. She didn't get arrested again. They just told her fifteen different times, you need to stop handling the money. Yeah. But they just told her, you need to stop handling the money. And that was due to the situation with the man before that she was arrested for stealing from. Yeah. So, finally, one of the neighbors became suspicious of her when there was a homeless man who they called Chief, was, um, all of a sudden became her personal handyman. And I guess she took a liking to him. He was homeless. So, you know, as many people aren't going to notice if something happens. Yeah. And he would also be a great scapegoat. Mm-hmm. That's the way I look at it. He would have been a great scapegoat. So... She would have him digging in her basement, and he would take away concrete, dirt, and he would take down a garage in the backyard to cover, to build, like, start digging again, and they covered the area that this garage was with a giant concrete slab, but later that would go away. It didn't stay for very long. 
Concrete takes a while. It takes a while to dry. And it's hard to break down. And it's loud to break down. So, finally, the disappearance of a man named Alberto Montoya, a man with developmental disability, he suffered from schizophrenia, was reported missing. I think I said something along those lines. I can't read. So, because of this, they started searching her property. This is a man with a very serious condition. Um, a lot of really bad things can happen, not just to him, but to those around him if he gets yeah. paranoid. So they've got to look into it really quickly. Mm -hmm. During this time, they discovered the body of a woman named Leona Carpenter. Um, no, Leona Carpenter was a 78-year-old tenant. Um, brain. Rewind. They discovered the body of Leona Carpenter. It was correctly the first time. She was a 78-year-old tenant. They discovered some, undis some disturbed soil on her property. So that caused them to look more. That is not who they were looking for. Yeah. They never even considered any of the situation. So during the time that they were searching, they found seven bodies. Okay. There were seven bodies on her property, and that's actually quite a bit. Yeah. And during the investigation, this woman was allowed to leave where she was living. She was technically supposed to be in house arrest, but they let her go. They let her leave so she can go buy coffee at a hotel nearby. And like an idiot, this officers let her leave. So she goes and she hops a train and she goes to L.A. Of course. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's... The great idea, that's the best idea. LA is really big. She assumes that nobody's going to find her. So she becomes, she tries to make friends with an older man, but he recognized her <laughs> and he called the cops. He was not about to be on this, which is smart. Yeah. He was super smart. He's like, okay, I'm not going to let you try to fuck me over and you're going back to jail. Yeah, and this is the 1980s, this so is there's the 80s. TVs, you know, there's colored TVs yeah. at this point. And, you know, posters and stuff Newspaper. like that. Newspaper. Like, you know, word gets around, fax machines, stuff like that. So they were, they were set, like, yeah. thinking you're not going to be recognized at this point is kind of stupid. Maybe if she, like, dyed her hair and didn't wear her glasses, she might have been a little bit harder to recognize. But he discovered her, he figured it out really quickly, and he police, he called the police. So she was arrested again, and her um, trial had been moved from Monterey County um, to change a venue since she moved. And what is it? Her trial started in 1992, so I think there were over a year. It says over a year. That's what I was reading for this whole trial, which is actually really quick. Yeah, that's a really fast that's trial. That's a real, like, it freaking took them eight years to convict Jodi Arias. It took them four years one. in Italy. Italy to convict my lady. Yeah. Players. So it's like, it's kind of really super, super quick. I, you don't hear about that too often. They called in 130 witnesses for this woman, over 130 witnesses. And people would argue how great she is versus how abusive she was of her power. And you see that a lot with care providers, unfortunately. We have seen that a lot. Yeah. I, it's ugly. Mm -hmm. So it took all of this time to figure things out like between the witnesses and also just to look at the facts like she was hiring people who she knew or at least thought could take the brunt of a situation should she get in trouble yeah that's what she was trying to get away with or at least that's how it seemed on paper that's how it looks unsuspecting white lady i'm gonna hire convicted oh. felons and homeless people yep. and drug addicts to do my dirty work 
Yeah. Which, they didn't even do the dirty work. She did the dirty work. So, during her trial, it took a year for the trial, and deliberation for sentencing took over a month. Okay. And it took so long to convict her because there was one juror who didn't want to sentence somebody's grandmother, basically. They didn't like the idea. They weren't okay with it. See, okay, sorry. Rants from Candy coming on. I don't care if that's somebody's grandma. If she's out there killing people, like, put her in jail. I don't care. Like, they have granny jails. They have jails for old people. Like, that's probably... where they sent Martha Stewart. Yeah, so it's like... It's a new prison. She's fine. Like, the jail's gonna take care of her. She's gonna get food, all that stuff. Like, it doesn't matter if she's somebody's grandma. She killed somebody. She deserves to be punished. Mm -hmm. She killed seven people. Or eight, nine... She killed nine people. Duh. She deserves to be punished for that. Yeah. That's a big deal. And then on top of it, she was in her 60s when she started this. I would have punched that juror for a month of They needed to that. punch that old lady. Yeah. Like, and I don't say that lightly. <laughs> I like old people. But that is insane. So, it took the entire month to convict her. And eventually, the person agreed to two first-degree murder counts, and that includes special circumstances. At one point, I think I said that she got out of prison in 1989. That totally didn't happen. I think it was 1985, and I could something else. I don't know. I typed a lot of this out, and I type as I read, which tends to be bad. Yeah. That doesn't always work out. Okay. So, that is basically it. Dorothea Puente died in prison in 2011. So, this is actually very recent when she finally passed away. I think she was 86 when she passed, so she lived a really long life. She spent so much time in prison, I think that's all she knew. In and out of jail, her entire adult life was probably easier for her in there than it was out here. She didn't have to worry about money in jail. Yeah, you do. You worry about money in jail. You have to have money on your books to afford basic life necessities, just like you do out here. It's just not as expensive. But, like, you get free food, you don't have to worry about the electricity. Yeah, stuff stuff like like that. that. But Jinx. everything. <laughs> you owe me a soda. I've got some. I'll give you one. But she, like everything else, normal things that people worry about, she didn't have to worry about anymore. And she had someone to take care of her, which is probably really nice. I would love to know what that feels like. Right? Like, I went. Just from... kidding. My dad bought my car. <laughs> <laughs> I. I went from in-home care to being a mom, yeah. so I don't even know, like, I've always taken care of someone since I was 20. Same. So, I don't know any different, and I think it would be really nice, but I'm not going to jail to know what it feels like to have somebody take care of me. Maybe I'll just throw myself off the roof, <laughs> and I'll make my boyfriend take care of me. <laughs> I feel like that's a lot easier than going to jail. It's a lot nicer for everybody else if you just hurt yourself instead of hurting people. Yes. Well, no, not really, because <laughs> I outweigh my boyfriend, like, 65 pounds, and if he has to, like, carry me because I broke both of my legs, then that's not going to work out for anybody, because I'll just be um, on the ground. <laughs> I already know you. You'd be dragging yourself with your hands. <laughs> I would. I would be like that chicken American horror story. So... The fun part! Yay, Ghost Adventures! The Dorothea Puente (laughs) Murder House was featured on Ghost Adventures, and you can see all about it on Season 13, Episode 
Okay, I was looking at October 22nd, 2016. That was the date of the showing. Okay. So it's, it's already been two years. It was actually a really, really good episode. Not just because Zach was wearing a tight t-shirt and he was being an overdramatic bitch, because that's every episode. Yeah. But, like, there was more activity. And I am using air quotes because a lot of the activity was very obviously fabricated, in my opinion. I'm not a ghost hunter, so I can't tell you. But if somebody will give me ghost hunting kits, I will go ghost hunting. We live in the middle of the Arizona desert. There's ghosts everywhere. I ain't going ghost hunting. Fuck that shit. I don't even walk to my car at night. Well, you are tonight. So, like, my first note initially is like, oh, my God, I love Zach. (laughs) Because he's just like, we're at the... Dorothea Puente Murder House in Sacramento, California. He's so dramatic. I love it. The, dr- the we drama. We are standing here outside of a house where nine people so, have been murdered. The beginning of the episode shows them driving up to Dorothea Puente's house. Yeah. Here is the house. And this is why I was telling you earlier. I'm like, you just want to say what the fuck. That is a mannequin. Okay. And I believe it's supposed to be Dorothea. It is a mannequin of Dorothea. And then there's this beautiful, beautiful figure. Okay, let's just put a dog if randomly in there. And as soon as you walk like up, that's the, first, that's the first thing you see. Yes, it's like a furry, except for that thing. I'm way creeped one. out. Okay. That's a thing that happens. That they is got there. lost on the way to the furry convention. Dude, seriously. <laughs> But, so, it's kind of like, what the fuck, man? What the fuck? Why are these things here? <laughs> like, I can kind of understand the Dorothea Puente statue. Like, I think they do something, like, at the Whaley House in San Diego, which is actually yeah. in San Diego. People dress up in period clothing, and I don't remember if they do at Winchester. I've only been once. Um, they may, they may not. I don't know. Yeah. And who knows, they might do it at Lizzie Borden's house, too. Okay. We really don't know. But So I know some haunted houses really like to get into it. Yeah. Okay. So, so we will also have these photos up on Instagram when we post this. Yes. I will be posting lots of pictures of the Dorothea Plante <laughs> house because it is a really nice looking house, except for these damn statues. And the furry. So, dude, the furry is fucking creepy. Because it's still on the screen. I know, you can see it in the background. Looking at us like, oh my god. Well, this dude really starts calling this bitch a sweet old granny. Like, are you fucking serious? Did he not look at pictures of her? She is the creepiest old lady on the planet, and I will pull up a picture for you of Dorothea Puente. She looks evil. (laughs) She, uh, it's like... The whole, like, you gotta change the story from being, like, this crazy evil lady is, like, well, no, she was a sweet lady. And then suddenly, just one day, she just changed completely. And that's so dramatic. I'm flinging my hands in the air. Right? I just, I can't. I really can't. (laughs) But he's, like, going on about how she looked like a sweet little old lady. And she definitely wasn't. But there is this hilarious sign on the house as well that says trespassers will be drugged and buried 
which is really not funny at all, but I thought that was fucking <laughs> hilarious. Because that's what happened. It really is. And that's the really sad part. Like, they probably shouldn't be making jokes out of that, but it lightens the mood. We also just made, like, 60 million jokes on how nine people died. Yeah. <laughs> on a podcast. Bad sense of humor. They must have hired me in a past life to do this house. So... During this time, they're talking to a detective that was on the case, like, 30 years ago. Okay. And he was saying that while they were digging around in the yard trying to find stuff, he found some cloth, and at one point he starts tugging on this really leathery material, and he unearths it, and he can't figure it out what it is. Well, the, um, whatchamacallit, coroner says, oh, that's human skin. Okay. And, like, he had been holding it and messing with it and trying to figure out what this leathery shit was. Well, it was fucking skin. How long after this person died were they doing this? Because I feel like... It had to have been within a year or two. It had to have been one of the more recent situations. If you're a detective, like, I feel like you should know. Well, this guy that they show doesn't look like he may be 60. So in the 80s, he was only in his 30s. He was probably a new detective. He was probably still just barely but getting I onto it. Was a detective on that case, and I saw somebody sitting there messing with this. I'd be like, "That's what are you doing? Done. Because you're on a case. Like, don't be fucking with the evidence, dude." I just, It was the 80s. People are all over the place. Yeah. They weren't as good about shit like that. During this time, they also pull up a femur bone. Okay. And the entire yard is basically just littered with bodies. Everywhere they dig, they're finding pieces or people. Super awesome. It took so many days, but they pulled up a total of about seven bodies. In the house, there is a little room just off the kitchen, and they were calling that her body room. And that is where <laughs> she would take the dead people. And she would leave them there. And the detective goes to say that when they go into this room... There's just a stench because the, there's dead people there. Yeah. So there's just a stench in this room and there's this stain and he's looking at the stain and he already knows it's just the decom- decomposition of the people. So who knows how long she actually kept these people in this room before she finally managed to drag them out into the yard and bury them. Well, and then the crazy thing is like this is inside a home with 40 other people. Yeah. Like, and you just have a body in a room. I feel like they had to have stayed in that one little space long enough for nobody to notice. And then, you know, you're in a home with old people and disabled people and addicts. Nobody's going to notice the smell. Yeah, that's true. Group homes smell. They do. There's a smell. And unfortunately, it's a very noticeable smell. Yeah, and you can sit there and clean forever. I can attest to that because I've done that. And I know you have too, Laura. Leech and vinegar. You can't get the smell out. (laughs) And you just can't get that smell out. So that's understandable. But it's just crazy that you would just like, oh, here's my body room. (laughs) Yeah. So they, they just had all of this, and he knew it was bodily fluids once the person had passed away, and they start releasing just the mm-hmm. In the lungs of some of their victims, they found dirt. So, so not everybody... Yeah, there were people who were buried alive, which is even worse, in my opinion. Like, that's horrible. But I feel like, at the end of the day, they're kind of onto something with the whole... Well, she's just a little old lady, like... She had to freaking hulk out just to get these full-grown people out the yard because she was in her 60s, and she probably wasn't very big to begin with. She had to have, at this point, she, the people that were alive were probably drugged. 
So they were knocked out. She was and they were dead. Yeah, it was dead there. weight. So yeah. she more than likely had to get a new rug in there every week. Because it's easier. <laughs> roll it up in the rug and just fling the rug. Not up. even. At this point, you're just going to freaking drag them out like you would a person in a fire. And you grab them by the sleeve and you pull them. Yeah. So, but then like your shirt comes off. So I feel like she was attaching the shirt to a rug and then dragging to try to yeah. cause a little bit less traction. Who knows? This is just me stating based on what I've done in CPR and what I've seen on TV. If you want to do that nowadays, just get a yoga mat. Yeah, that would actually work really well. <laughs> and you can reuse it. <laughs> yeah, they slip and slide everywhere. So the wood in the house to this day is the wood that was there 30 some odd years ago. And then Zach goes on to this whole dramatic thing. So the fibers in the wood to this day may still have bodily fluids of the people who died here. And he's just like, it was really fucking epic the way he said it. And yeah. His voice is so deep, so it's really hard for me to mimic it. <laughs> but it was just, it was really, really dramatic. And he's going on about the negativity in the air. And it's almost, and I'm sure this is actually how people feel too, that negativity in the air is probably really suffocating, pun intended. Um, and there's a new lady, there's a homeowner there currently, and her nephew claims that there's just this really dark cloud, a dark cloud of energy that he would feel around the house, and it intensified after Dorothea passed away. So when she passed in prison, whatever negativity he was feeling in the home just got ten times worse. And it was a re it's a really ugly feeling. They, um, the lady who lives in the house, she is 91 years old. She does not look 91 years old. Like, she legit, oh, she looks very young for her age. At 91 years old, she made, this is her, she looks like she's in her 70s. Yeah, I could see that. She looks very good for her age. She recalls one night waking up and there was a dark shadow in the room with her. She, it was the shadow of a woman and she's convinced it was Dorothea. That the person standing, it, it wasn't even a shadow. It was, you could see the outline of the body. The person was wearing clothes and she's like, they were smiling, but it wasn't a smile. Like it was just an upturn of the lips. Yeah, I would be out of that fucking house. Right, well, right 91 years old is not exactly easy. <laughs> but it would be then. <laughs> yeah, so she just remembers there was stuff on the clothing, and I was like, it's blood. That's yeah. me thinking that blood it's blood. She just didn't like the feeling that she received from this person. Her name is Peggy. During her time living here, out of nowhere, she starts experiencing these unexplainable falls. But she tells you it feels like somebody is pushing her. So I'm like, yeah, she is fucking pushing you. She's trying to fucking kill you like she killed everybody else. A big no. Yeah. I would be out of that place. I would be, and maybe she's one of those people who can't afford it. I would, that's what I'm thinking is she can't afford it. Well, it's been on Ghost Adventures at this point. Well, now like, she now can. She can. <laughs> but, you know, it's expensive. So they start to do their, um, whatchamacallit, the... EMF, trying to see what they can find, and they've just got the recording going, and she's, like, trying to figure out what it is, and she's asking, like, what do you want from me? Just Your trying... social security. <laughs> right? And she's, like, you know, she just doesn't understand uh, what the person wants for her and why her. And yeah. then, according to the Ghost Adventures people, they're, like, you can hear a disembodied voice saying 
that they're like, it says you're dead. That they're trying to say to die. That this voice is But it's really like die. somebody whispering in the background saying something. When and they play the audio, you can't hear anything. Yeah, I hate that. I hate that. And then they have the little like text on the screen and it says yeah. you're dead and you're like, no, but I'm pretty don't. sure that was somebody going. <laughs> not even. It sounded like breath. I know. It, I'm just being stupid. Yeah, it just it doesn't sound like anything. I love Ghost Adventures. I though. love Ghost Adventures. It is the greatest <laughs> show ever. And I can thank my friend Danielle for introducing me to Ghost Adventures because without her, I would never have known what it was because I was still stuck on Ghost Hunters back then. Yep. When Same the, here. It was, mine was my friend was a Shuri. Sheree got me on Ghost Adventures yeah. because she thought Zach was hot, which... That is exactly why Danielle had... She is the biggest boy crazy person ever. And then Zach is all over here trying to be a bully, and he's this big, buff, super hunky dude, and he's talking shit to the ghost of an old lady, and he's like, Dorothea <laughs> Puente, what did, you, what did you do to these people? Whatever you did is sick. There we go. There we go. That is not verbatim. I don't know. I was typing and listening at the same time, and I'm focusing more on Zach than my typing, obviously. Yeah. I That just cracks me up every <clears> time <throat> when they go in there and they're trying to, like, beat up, like, the ghosts. They're all like, you're such an asshole, blah, blah, blah. And I'm oh, like... Oh, I know. I love it. And then, like, this entire time, <laughs> Zach is talking shit, and he's, like, pointing at nothing, and Aaron is the most epic wingman on the planet, <laughs> is just viciously nodding his head like, in the yeah, corner. Dude. Like, yeah, he's egging him on silently. Just great, great. Beat up that help. ghost. Yeah, he's just such good at helping. <laughs> he's awesome. Aaron is my favorite, honestly. <laughs> I love Aaron. And this is, like, truly me saying this. I love Aaron. I yeah. do. He's the best. <laughs> it's just so fucking dramatic. So, at one point, Zach is like, we're going to banish your ass out of this house. And I'm like, bullshit, you're going to fucking banish anybody anywhere. <laughs> like, you're full of it. <laughs> so, at this point now, they cut to a scene where they bring in a husband and wife psychic team whose name are Michael and Marty. And Michael can correspond with the lost souls. Okay. And his wife can draw what he feels she can see it and she will have an interpretation of it it's actually i think that's actually really that cool. sounds really cool actually. it's super interesting and it gets really cool i don't think it gets really cool but the show shows it off really cool they start doing their little intake with the couple and they bring them in blind so they've blindfolded them and they have brought them into the house and they've covered up key things in the home that would make it look like it was dorothea puente's house just to give them less um, hints yeah. so that they can get more of a real feel from themselves, especially from Michael being sensitive. He, there's a lady and a man. Michael keep, was saying there's a man here and there's a lady, but he can't connect with her. But he is connecting with the man. And he just, sometimes he can feel the condition of the person when they've passed away so the feeling that he's getting from the man he's having a hard time breathing his throat feels tight it feels like he's being choked yeah then jay's over here grabbing his throat he can feel it too it's very hypochondriac <laughs> moment you know what i'm talking about yeah <laughs> it, it's a very hypochondriac moment and i completely feel it like i know that and it's just 
I'm eye rolling the entire time. Michael, at this point, he wants to wander around. He wants to explore the house a little bit. And he says that there is a large man around. And there's the letters A and B, which Zach goes on to say that maybe it's um, Alaro, nicknamed Burr Montoya, um, who was a resident, the resident of Dorothea's with schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're, they said that he was a big man. He was six feet tall. He was about 250 pounds. Big dude. So they're like, it could be him. And with, when it comes to Zach, I'm like, bullshit. While all of this is going on, um, Marty starts drawing a picture of a man and a woman. And the word that just clicked in her head when she was done drawing the picture of the woman was murder. And she they go to then superimpose the photos of Dorothea Puente and the photo that Marty drew with one another. And they're like, oh, well, this looks like it could have been a photo of Dorothea Puente. And maybe it was what she looked like when she was younger. You Your features change when you get older. Yeah. And you could tell by looking at photos of Dorothea that she had dentures because of the way her teeth, her, her lips go in. Yeah. So you could tell she had dentures. So they take the picture to Peggy. Oh, okay. To ask Peggy, is this the woman that you saw? And Peggy just automatically starts nodding. It's just like, that looks like her. So then they're like, oh, yep, this is Dorothea. She was here. She's threatening Peggy. Finally, they start the lockdown. <laughs> As if there's, there's not no, enough drama. There's no lockdown yet. <laughs> <laughs> this is all the intake prior to this. So they're finally starting the oh lockdown. God. Peggy is no longer in the home. It's just the guys. It's just the boys at this point. Zach is immediately talking shit, like just hardcore talking shit, calling her out, saying that she's a stupid old lady and he's not afraid of her. And Dorothea Puente's ghost channeled me and you hear a very clear EVP, air quote EVP, I don't care. Just perfectly, I don't care. Okay. So it's like, okay, she's a smart ass. I kind of like her again. <laughs> she's dead. She's a smart ass. Kind of like her again. I, I live off sarcasm. So at this point, Jay is in the garden and he's got this really interesting recorder that he can stick in the ground to, re- like, he's getting EVP out there trying to figure out what's going on, trying to see if he can get anything from the victims. Okay. Like, they're in the house trying to draw out Dorothea. So Jay is out there trying to get the victims. He's going through all of this and they literally, that's all they show. But then they go back into Peggy's room and they've got the spirit box out. And I'm one of those weird people who really enjoy the sound of a spirit box. Now in Peggy's room, again with the spirit box, they're trying to talk to Dorothea, but instead they get a man's voice. And the voice comes out to say, hear me as Aaron being the bleeding heart that he is, the amazing human that he is is trying to like get on Dorothea's good side. Like, okay, my homeboy's over here being a dick, so I'm gonna be the nice one. They're playing good cop, bad cop over here. Aaron is sympathizing with her, trying to get her to come out and speak to them, and instead they hear a man. And they hear, hear me. And I don't hear that at all, so I'm just like, whatever. Not a big deal. And then out of nowhere, they hear this man's voice, and then Zach, my back hurts. He's got back pain. Out of nowhere, he's got back pain. Because you know he can't go anywhere without getting possessed. Yeah, we gotta get possessed. Gotta Cheers get possessed. The possessed. I love it. <laughs> I'm not saying I want to be possessed, but I love it. I remember, sorry, total side tangent. There was this one episode that something was happening with Nick. Remember Nick? He used to be on there. Uh-huh. Something was happen- happening with Nick. Like, Nick got scratched. And then, like, 
the second Nick says something, like, Zach, like, looks at him and then starts acting like he's possessed. Like, he can't Was deal with it. Was the one the... where he started punching the wall? I think so. I just remember, like, <laughs> something small happened with Nick, but then, like, Zach could not be, like, like... They're the same. <laughs> like, I'm gonna keep pointing to my shoulder, because you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. They're the same with the overdramatic shit. Yeah. So, I just, like, every time I just think of that, like, moment. <laughs> Zach is getting possessed. Zach is getting possessed, so Aaron starts asking what is happening to Zach, and they hear another voice that says, Peter... And this actually does sound like it's saying Peter. It do, that's a little bit of an easier word to hear. Yeah. And it's a little bit harder of a word to confuse with other words. Yeah. So they go to say that, but then at this point, they go back out to Jay. He's in the yard, and he's asking about Betty Palmer. And a word pops up under the device that says Barry. And they're asking, he asks how many boys, how many bodies have been buried in the yard, and the number 15 pops up. But they only found seven bodies in the yard. But we know of there have been seven bodies buried in Dorothea Puente's yard. So then Zach is like, what the fuck? Because he knows for a fact there's only seven bodies buried out of the nine known murders committed by this woman. Yeah. They're like, well, maybe there were more people. Maybe she killed more people than we know about. Yeah. More people that have yet to be discovered. Maybe if they dig up more of the yard, they'll find something or someone. So at this point, they've gone back in with Zach. And now he's laying on Peggy's bed. <laughs> And I'm like, yes. No, I'm kidding. So he starts asking about the woman in the house. And this is why I'm like, I get super dramatic at this point. Because then you hear an EVP very clearly say, hold me. Oh, yeah, and that would be me. Yeah, that EVP was... <laughs> I'd be like, was, Zach's on the bed, just hold me. Yeah, that was totally me. Like, that EVP was literally me asking him to cuddle. <laughs> so anyway, they hear all of this. And, you know, the ghost is hitting on Zach. At this point, Zach gets, like, really lethargic feeling, and he's just not feeling it. And they think... Second possession. <laughs> right. Well, Aaron asks Dorothea if she wants to drug Zach. And that's when he's like, oh, I don't feel right, man. And he starts talking like he's fucking drunk. So, like, how a person, air quote, acts when they're drunk or drugged. Okay. So they're like, okay, Dorothea tried to drug him yeah. with her ghost pills. <laughs> so he's like, he feels like he can't move, and Billy is in the room with them, and he's like, out of nowhere, maybe we should put a pillow over his face. And the <laughs> second he says that, Zach is such a fucking bitch. He's like, what the fuck do you mean? <laughs> like, and then, you know, he's just so defensive, and he's not okay with this. And Billy's like, I don't mean it. Like, that's just the thought that popped into my head. And I was like, oh, great, now Dorothea's fucking channeling you. And she's like, here's my chance. He's a big guy. He's young. He's strong. I'm going to hire. I'm just going to possess this dude to do the work for me because he's probably able to take him. Or just Billy <laughs> always wanted to stick a pillow Probably. <laughs> kind of don't blame him. Kidding, kidding, kidding. I don't mean that. He's I like, I him. was possessed. I didn't mean a word I said. Right? <laughs> Aaron and Billy separate because, you know, everybody has to be in their own places and Zach is going to stay chilling on Peggy's bed and get seduced by a ghost and Aaron starts complaining because, like normal, they have to send Aaron. Poor Aaron. Yes, he's a big guy, but he is a chicken shit. He is a chicken shit. I yeah. love him. He is amazing. He went to the death room. He had to go to the body room. Yep. Of so he's bitching and moaning. He's got to go to the body room and he's got to be by himself while, you know, whatchamacallit, Zach stays in Peggy's room. And then while they're in there, 
And he starts asking who else is in there. And they get an EVP that says, Jenny. Like, clear. It was very clear. This EVP says Jenny. And you can hear it so perfectly. Yeah. They start asking if Jenny is an unidentified victim. And that's all you hear from that. So while they're in there dealing with all of that, Aaron goes into the the body room and he starts to hear noise in the kitchen and you can hear noises coming from the kitchen or from outside of the room and it doesn't really sound like anything you just hear movement like if somebody's moving around you just yeah. hear like somebody moving around in the other room See, and it could very easily be one of the other guys yeah that's, they don't show that that's the stuff that i'm like well you separated so you're gonna hear sounds from yeah. other parts of the house now and it doesn't matter like there's only three people in the house you're gonna hear everything yeah and it's like all the stuff there is still the same, so it's old. Mm-hmm. Like, you're going to hear stuff. Yeah, you hear everything. So, and I mean, the house is really old. Yeah. Just, there's a lot, so you do hear everything. But then as Aaron starts to get paranoid, because he doesn't know what's going on, and poor guy gets so paranoid, so easy. Well, at this point, they pan over to Zach, who sits up and falls face first. <laughs> he just falls face first out of the bed. He starts screaming for Aaron because he needs he needs people. He needs somebody to take care of him. So he calls Aaron. And they come running back in the room. What's wrong, man? Are you okay? Right? Well, and then the funny part is they show it, and they, like, show him laying down. He's kicked back. And then they speed up time really quickly, and he's sitting up. And then he's sitting there, and they speed up time really quick. And then he's face first into the floor. <laughs> it's just, it's so... They don't want to show time-lapse, obviously. He was probably actually sitting there for, like, five, ten minutes at a time. Yeah. But so they time-lapse it so that it doesn't seem like as much. And then at this point, I make a comment that that's what he gets or talk shit to the old lady who murdered people. Like, if she can murder and bury somebody six foot tall and 250 pounds, she could take Zach, who is probably about the same size. Yeah. He probably doesn't weigh 250 pounds, but still roughly Yeah. similar. Because I think that they've said he's over six foot tall. I don't know. I remember looking at his bio somewhere because he's hot and I like to look at the bios of hot people. (laughs) So they're in there and Billy comes looking for him too because he hears the tumble and he's got that one device. It um, casts dots all over the place. Yeah. And when you're looking at it from a screen aside from the device, you can see movement. Mm -hmm. So he's got that. So it comes into the room with him. He's carrying that. That's why I don't own an Xbox. Right? Well, Zach is like, I can't move my body, my arms, my head. I can't move anything. But he's moving his hands and he's turning his head. And he's talking. But he's And he's talking, <laughs> but he can't move anything. I love you, Zach. <laughs> Don't tell my boyfriend. And he's like, just holding his head, too. Like, he can't do anything. But he's over here, just with all the motions. So I'm like, maybe you couldn't, and that's why you toppled over face first but right now you very clearly are moving your head like you're i'm motioning moving my head and grabbing my hand right like grabbing my head with my hand right now you can't see me they stay in there for a little bit and they start to ask what they want to do with zach and you get kill okay and so it says kill and when asked with what they say the thing says night it knows you're gonna kill him with darkness I don't understand. With my love. (laughs) So, at this point, they've got a device, and they call it the Puck 2, which is an EMF reader, and it can read static as well, not just EMF frequencies, which is really cool. And I like the way it sounds, Puck 2. 
Puck two. Puck two, puck two, puck two. Sound like a minion. <laughs> so they pick up the word Rhonda. And Help me, Rhonda. <laughs> <laughs> so they're trying to figure out what all of that is, and it says Rhonda. And then out of nowhere, Zach is top shape. He is in great condition. Yeah, he's, he's not possessed anymore. He's not possessed anymore. So we start screaming, like screaming at something. We don't know what. And he calls for Aaron after hearing movement in the room, pointing at a corner directly near him, saying there is something here. There is something right there. So the little device pulls up the words below count. Asked if there are more people buried. It says Paul. It brings up that name. They ask if Paul is another victim, and the area around the device begins to get really cold. Like, he moves his hand over the device, and he moves out, and it's cooler above the, that machine. So then the word under comes up, as well as trap, and Billy asks if somebody is trapped, and neither Paul or Rhonda are names of victims that we know of. They go over the EVP later, and they hear get out when he's talking about Dorothea, and there's some form of a growl, and you really can't hear that. But you do hear something that moderately sounds like get out. And Billy is asking if Paul is around, but he hears footsteps. They start asking what things should be done and they get the words digging, cement, and Anthony. They also get wooden and pine, which would make sense. There's a lot of pine in California and there yeah. was a box. And it would have been built there. They start asking about another victim and then the name Mandy pops up, which there was a victim, Mandy, I believe. I've already forgotten the name of the victims. Yeah. So I suck. Don't quote me on that. So at this point, they've gotten the name of six additional people on top of the known victims that they've found. And while they're in the room, they're still filming. They're still getting EVP. They've got that other device that shows up um, like stick figures. Yeah. And you see a stick figure standing in the corner of this little closet room space. And its arms are... Wacky wavy <laughs> tube man. <laughs> Wacky wavy inflatable tube man. Yes, like that's all you see. <laughs> and its arms are going crazy. And Zach is going off on it and they're calling it anomaly. <laughs> and Zach starts telling it that it needs to leave. And he's continuing that it needs to leave and it needs to get its ass out of here. And he's fucking threatening a stick figure on a screen. And then it disappears. What if it was one of the good guys? Exactly. What if you just yelled at one of the victims? Wouldn't you feel like a dick? I would feel like a dick. Yeah. At this point, when the stick figure, it's gone. So Zach, he's like... We banished it. Exactly. <laughs> he's like, she's gone. I banished her and she won't stay here anymore. And that is the end of that whole long story about Dorothea Puente and my really horrible research, and I promise I will do better next time. And then my whole long-ass drawn-out acted... I know. I acted out was, the entire episode of Ghost Adventures. It was the same length as an entire episode. Everything is over, and I looked up more information very slightly on her... That's when I found out about the cookbook. It's just really crazy. Dorothea Puente was a force to be reckoned with. She was a bad bitch. She fucking owned a brothel. She was hustling old men. She was killing people and dragging their bodies around. The crazy thing is I can see the similarities between Dorothea and Leonardo. Mm -hmm. And then there's like the other stuff. Like Dorothea, you know, put like got rid of all of her kids, but... 
Leonardo was like, I'm gonna kill you so my son will live through World War II. Yeah. Like, there's like some things that are the same and some things that aren't. It's crazy. At the end of the day, they were just women who needed to get by, which is fully understandable. Like, we just need to move on and get through shit, but there's better ways to do it. Yeah. Don't be killing your residents. Don't be chopping up your neighbors and turning them into soap. (laughs) Even if it's the most acceptable creamy soap. (laughs) You can find really good product that is made with natural derived products that you're going to find in the ground. Not people. Like we're talking plant extract. Really good stuff. (laughs) And it's probably just going to be so much better than cutting up your neighbors. And you're probably not going to get arrested for that. Yeah. Hopefully not. Hopefully. Unless you're putting poison oak in it. (laughs) Or ivy. Yeah, that would be really bad. Make sure you check what kind of plants you're using (laughs) before you make soap. (laughs) You'd be surprised at how many people don't know what poison oak and poison ivy look like. I don't. I don't know if I'm allergic though either because I've never had a reaction. I've never had a reaction, but I know what they look like so I avoid them. Do they even have them down here? (laughs) Yeah, up north. Oh, I don't go we up have, north. We have jumping cactus here. Yeah. Because we don't live up north. We live down south. Yeah. We are three hours from Mexico, FYI. Hola. Thank you for listening. And we will see you when I figure out how to use a mouse <laughs> next week. Bye. Bye. Stay spooky. Thank you for listening to We Love Dead Things. Please like, share, subscribe, and comment. Also, leave reviews and give us feedback. And we would appreciate it if you tell us your stories. We love those things. Thank you guys so much for listening and have a great evening.